Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. And today we are starting season five of the Being Known Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And it just makes me laugh because, come on. I mean, (laughs) how did we get here? Uh, (sighs) I know. I... It's uh, it's hard and beautiful to imagine. Yeah, yeah, right on. Yeah, my uh, uh, brutal, brutal, and <laughs> brutal and beautiful, brutal. That's not an original, by the way. I, I heard that one somewhere. Um, so, so in season five, mm-hmm. um, what we have decided to do is similarly to season four, we are going to be exploring. Kurt's book, one of Kurt's books, and this one is The Soul of Shame, Kurt's second book. And uh, I want to talk about why we're doing this a little bit. So, Hmm. you know, you wrote this book, or this book was released in 2015, I believe, Mm -hmm. 2015. And as I say, a lot of ink has been spilled about shame. Hmm. And of course, we have obliquely talked about it in our podcast um, over the seasons, a little bit here and there. So why are we still talking about it? Why is it important for us this season Hmm. to be, I mean, other than maybe selling a few books for you, why, why would we be doing this season, this season on shame? (laughs) Well, I think, I think it's to give you an opportunity in the first place to use the word obliquely. Thank you. So I think, I think that's, (laughs) I just made, that's a $10 word. Dude, that like that was that was beautiful. Thank you. That was beautiful. That wasn't even brutal. That was beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, well, you know, I, I we were talking before the show, and and I have this thought of like, well, you know, this book was written then. We, 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 we as you rightly say, a lot of ink has been spilled. People talk about it. We should we, we should be so familiar with it now that we shouldn't need to have to talk about it. And as it turns out. In the, not least, even in the last month, it has become so apparent to me that it continues to be pernicious and malignant. It continues to be something that we uh, can never uh, take our eye off of. Mm-hmm. We can never uh, assume that we've figured it out. Uh, we know that it is a weapon that evil uses. And now that we know that, uh, and now that we have all the information that we need to have, we no longer have to worry about it, have to think about it. We, we, we kind of have that package wrapped, and it just isn't the case. Right. And as, as you've rightly said, we have included it in a number of different ways and places in our previous seasons. We've never really taken the opportunity to, you know, drill down deeply into it in some of the ways that we do in, in the book. And... I really I want to invite our audience to know that uh, this this will, this could be easily you know we we could easily do this season like on you know press record rewind repeat you know every so many seasons because it is never going to stop being a thing uh, not not just like in our world but it like it doesn't stop in my own head right. It, it just, and, it, and, and, and for some things that I think, okay, now I know I, I have this shame thing around this particular item in my life. Okay. And now I know that. And the fact that I know that doesn't like 
a, you know, six months from now, doesn't keep it from feeling that much as, as nauseous then as it did when I first discovered it and figured out we would have it all sorted out. Right. And you talked about, um, you wrote about in season or in uh, chapter one, which we'll get to, you wrote about how, you know, we want to have this surgically removed. We want to just cut yeah. this out and be done with it. And yeah. that's not the way it works. There's a whole other way, a whole other amount of work that needs to be done to deal with it because it's, right. it's not going to go away. Right. We, you know, we, we talk, I, I, as I've said, like, you know, we run these confessional communities in our, uh, in our practice. And some of these communities have been meeting together for four, close to five years, and they know each other really well. And they've done a ton of work building a connection and community. And there are stories that many of these people told for the first time five years ago that continue to haunt them. And not because they haven't done work. They're not in the same place with their stories as they were five years ago. But evil is just not going Hmm. to let up. And it will, you know, you think that you've sealed off that particular crack in the bathroom wall so the water's not going to go through there. It's going to find another way in. It, it's it's going to come for us. And so we see in the day-to-day work with patients, it continues to be this thing. You know, in, uh, in, in when I was in medical school, uh, we took a pathology course. And the pathology course was the only course that lasted the entire duration of our first two years of school. You started it and it went the entire two years. No other course was that long. And, of course, it's like, well, no wonder because there's so much to know about what the problem is. And the first chapter of this thick pathology textbook was the inflammatory response. Hmm. This notion that when the body senses something wrong with it in some way, shape, or form, the inflammatory response is the kind of ubiquitous thing. It, it is the thing that happens no matter if you have a brain tumor, if you have an infection, if you have an autoimmune disease, if you have surgery, the body is ready to marshal its inflammatory response. It is basic. It is fundamental to everything else that follows in pathology. And which is why we spend so much time, you know, coming to know it. But that's the thing. It is so common that we can get to a point where we stop thinking about it. And that's kind of how shame has kind of emerged in my mind. This, it, is, it is part of the inflammatory response. It is a signal. And I think that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this over time. Like, in and of itself, it is a signal response that's telling us that there's something wrong. It's telling us that there's a separation between us and others, us and ourselves. The question is what we do in response to it. We know that, like the inflammatory response, it is. It, it, is, it is everywhere, all the time, large ways, small ways. It is deceptive. Hmm. It is relentless. And we have to continually identify where it is and drive it out where it seeks to do violence. And, you know, just basically, you know, when people ask me this question, well, Kurt, is there a, is, is ever there a, a, a place where shame serves a proper purpose? Like if we just got rid of all shame, isn't that going to be a problem? We said, well, absolutely. There are there are certain forms of human behaviors for which shame absolutely is the proper response. For there are instance, things that we do. Uh, if if I mistreat you, if I if if I if I 
you know, if, if I criticize Phyllis, my wife, if, if, I, if, I, if I speak sharply to her in public, well, speak sharply to her, like there might be a certain shame that I would feel. She would certainly feel it. I would feel it. And like, I should feel ashamed. Yes, that. you should, you should, she shouldn't in that right. situation. Yeah. Right, right. But she does too, because I'm directing my, my I'm directing my- I know, almost think there should be a different word for that shame. Right. I, I don't know. Well, so yeah, I mean, there, there should be. I mean, St. Paul takes us there when he says in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, when he says, there is a godly grief yeah. that leads to repentance. Yeah. And there is an ungodly grief that leads to death. And we're going to get into that. But what he's saying is like, when something happened, that when, I, when I've done something mm. and shame arises in me as a proper response to what I've done, the question immediately becomes, what do I do in response to that? A godly response is a response in which I repent, right? I'm going to turn around and move toward relationship. And as we'll see later, it's hard to do when it comes to shame. Right. It's really hard to do. But most of the time, what I tend to do is I don't repent. I don't turn toward relationship. I don't own my behavior and stand in and tolerate the difficulty of what I feel with shame. Instead, I turn and leave. And it is in the leaving that shame is actually strengthened, which we'll talk more about. And I, of course, when I leave, I reduce pretty quickly my felt sense of shame because I don't have to see you seeing me. And it's in that way, we, you know, we, we say that like, I, I can, I, we'll talk about this notion of violence, right? People think of shame, people, we don't think about violence, but shame is an act of violence, of a, a violation. I violate someone else. I violate myself. And we'll talk more about that again as we go through these chapters. But what it does, it, it became, you know, becomes kind of like a chameleon. You know, we, you know, Brene Brown talks about it. John Bradshaw talked about it now 30 years ago. John Bradshaw wrote the book, Healing the Shame That Binds You. And you would, and, and that book sold millions of copies. And you'd think, my goodness, we, we not only know everything we need to know about shame right. in that book, but we can also appropriate what we need to, we, we can implement what we need to do and, and we'll have a proper response to it. No, the uh, phrase rope-a-dope, yeah. Right, that Muhammad, Muhammad Ali. Ali made yeah. famous, right? This yeah. sense that he can just kind of like lean on the ropes and when people are pummeling him, he's letting the ropes take the punishment so that his body doesn't have to and he just wears his opponent out and that's kind of like what shame does to us. It plays rope-a-dope with us. Mm. Like, okay, now we're going to have this podcast and we're going to talk about it and we're going to name it and we're going to come for it and we're going to pummel. We're, we're going to do what we need to do and it's going to fade into the woodwork, and it will find our listeners. It's going to find you and me. It's going to find Amy. It's going to find us. It'll find me this afternoon. Yeah. We will have had this conversation, and it will find me this afternoon at some point. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it's I, as I was, you know, preparing for today's podcast, and, and you know, I, I, I read the book when it, years ago. And then, you know, started reading it again uh, as I was preparing for this. And it just is amazing how impactful it was for me just to read these first couple of chapters because it's like I'm just reminded of all the things that I've kind of um, – that are that are hidden in there and that are, you know, I'm, I've been ignoring and I've not been paying enough attention to. And mm -hmm. I've been hiding mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. things, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 
Well, and I think that, you know, uh, it, it's easy. Um, you know, we, we talk about shame. Here, here we are. We're talking about this, this kind of abstract topic, and we'll, we'll discover pretty quickly that it's any, if, if it's, it's nothing abstract at all. It's a very, very physically experienced thing. But also, our, our, it's important for our listeners to know that uh, at the same time that shame is a phenomenon in and of itself, that its effect is really to shape the stories that we tell shape the stories that we are living in. So it's not, we're not going to be just talking about the mechanics of shame, neurobiologically, interpersonally, but we recognize, we're going to come to recognize that shame is embedded within each of our stories. It, it's going to, it's going to show up. We, we were talking earlier today about, you know, I, uh, we have this little nonprofit, the Center for Being Known, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as, as our, as our season proceeds. And the Center for Being Known is this thing that has kind of emerged organically, it's kind of like these different parts of it that are coming together. It's not like I had some grand vision, you know, 10 years ago, and this is what we're going to do. It's all very plainly spelled out in my mind or other people's mind and so forth. And along the way, I haven't, you know, I, 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 the whole notion of leading an organization or, or starting and running a nonprofit, like that's not my, like that is not my gifting. And so I've made mistakes and I've, you know, I've hurt people's feelings along the way, not because I don't care, but because I think I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do. And then I end up doing silly things, but you know, I, I'm not clear about things or I don't say what I want, all the things like there's a hundred different ways in which I don't do this very well. And it just continues to come back. And it's, it's not just about this nonprofit. It is about what do I believe is true about who I am from the very beginning. And that, that organization, for instance, is just one way, one place in which my story is emerging and where shame wants to, like, jump into the driver's seat of the bus and start to take over where the story is going. But also we want to recognize that as much as it's embedded in our, each, each of our own individual stories, and then it becomes embedded in who we are even as not just my story, but the story, for instance, of my family. Right. Right? How many of us have certain stories, certain members in our family. We, we don't want to talk about Uncle George. We don't want to talk about Bruno. this thing that happened. Right. Yeah. We don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> right. Yeah. Those things that happened three generations ago or four generations ago that we were, where there's so much shame, someone who, someone, someone who took their life, but we don't talk about that. My mother uh, had an older brother who took his life. It was before I was born. Who took his life. He was, he was discovered by his, by his child, discovered by his child, his, by his son. Mm. And there's no way that that doesn't have impact, but it's, it was never talked about. It was never talked about. Like that kind of thing is like, it's, it's embedded in not just my personal story, but like it's embedded in somebody else's story that now trickles down to me, now becomes part of my story, perhaps even in ways I'm carrying shame that belongs to other parts of my story that I don't even know. But here's the thing, Pat, that I, I want our listeners to know. It's we each are part of this larger story, capital S. This story of the gospel, this story of the biblical narrative, this story in which God himself made the world in such a way that shame is part of it. Like, it's not like God made the world and somehow evil inserted shame as part of what's happening. No, this is, this is all part of what God has inserted. And God himself is not going to allow a thing that he has created to be in charge ultimately 
of the story that God is telling. And this is the really, really good news. As, as I say to folks, uh, the news about shame is far worse than you know. And it is far better than you can imagine. And we really want people to know that as far as the far worse than we know is concerned, we, we recognize that this is really a project on evil's side of the equation where evil, its role, it really wants, it doesn't just want us to use shame to make us feel bad about ourselves. It wants to devour us. We've talked on this podcast before this notion that we want to be truly known in order for us to be agents and outposts of creating beauty and goodness in the world. And as much as anything, evil can't tolerate the notion of us creating beauty and goodness, especially in relationships, especially relationships where there's been ruptures, where shame has been at work keeping those relationships separate. Evil can't tolerate the notion that we are going to face the shame in order to heal in order to repair the rupture, in order for beauty and goodness to emerge. No, evil wants to devour us. And so we also discover that there are many layers of life to pay attention to when it comes to this topic, not just the mechanics, but the story that's being told in the process about that. So we recognize that there is going to, we're going to develop over the course of our time in this uh, season, we're going to develop a strategy, an overarching vision for how we understand it. We're eventually going to develop a set of tactics for how we approach shame, what we do in response to it. We're going to recognize that shame is not something, as you said earlier, it's not something that we can extricate from our lives. We can't surgically remove it so that it never shows up again. We're going to learn how to have a different relationship with it such that we put that voice to death. You know, that, that I, 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 it often strikes me that, you know, this notion that, I think we said this on this podcast before, that the Romans had lots of ways to kill people and to do it quickly. Uh, but crucifixion, uh, I mean, you know, to crucify someone would mean people could die within hours. Sometimes it would take people days to die. And one of the reasons why crucifixion is such an apt representation for what it means for us to put our old men and women to death, those old parts of us, those old parts where shame is in charge of the storytelling narrative, it takes a long time to do it, just like crucifixion. And it requires a great deal of work. So like we were saying at the top of this episode, this notion that like, gosh, how many times I, we, we have, uh, I, I have this one story of, uh, uh, a person in one of our confessional communities who, not that long ago, it was just just remarking that they, they, this is a person who has really worked really hard. And anybody who knows this person in the group has just watched this person do amazing stuff differently over the last four to five years in their own personal life, in, their, in, in response to their family. And their family is like, it's a really broken place. And it continues to be really, really broken. And this person is just about the only person in her, in, in, from their family of origin that is actually doing any kind of work. But they've been working for a long time, and not that long ago they were commenting. It was just really be, kind of becoming overwhelming because the family once again had done something that had really activated and really wounded this person once again because mm. the family just keeps behaving badly. Right. And this person was 
kind of overwhelmed with a sense of grief that like, why do I still respond like this? And so not only were they having this felt sense of grief in response to the way the family had behaved badly again, but they were having this surge of shame because they were still having that response. And so we had to pause and we had to say, this is exactly what evil wants to do to you even right now. Evil wants to turn your attention toward and to turn your thoughts toward, I'm, I'm just not effective at this. I've been working at this for over two decades. I mean, like, like there's got to be something wrong with me that over two decades of work, and this is all that I have to show for it. And of course, this is, as we'll see, right, my capacity for seeing what beauty and goodness I have created I suddenly, like, I can't see it, I can't hear it, which is why we need a community to remind us of this. Yeah. In order, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, you know, as as I know we'll talk about, shame begets shame begets shame. And, you know, I want joy to beget joy to beget joy, if you want to know the truth. And you got to work harder for that. And yeah. 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 It's, which, well, therein lies one of the big pieces of the problem is, it, right. you know, it's so prevalent and feeds on itself. Yeah. I'm ashamed that I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that I'm ashamed. Yeah. Right. And I think that um, evil is banking on our losing track of it. Okay. Uh, you know, we're, re- we're recording this in late May and uh, this is an offshoot story, but I, uh, I've, I've, over the years, because of my very, very good friend, Jeff Dudiak, who's a professor of philosophy in Edmonton, Ontario. He's from Canada, where they learn to ice skate before they can walk. And many, many years ago, Jeff really personally introduced me to professional hockey, to the NHL. Okay. And it's the hockey playoffs. And I am just, I'm, I'm just like... I'm, I'm, I'm like glued to the, t- to the TV watching these hockey playoffs because I, you know, for my mind, there, there are a lot of beautiful sports in the world and that are beautiful for lots of different reasons, but I don't know a sport that combines power, grace, speed, agility, and the occasional fistfight right. quite like hockey does. And I'm watching Edmonton and Calgary last night, and there's this one play where, uh, you know, Calgary scores because there was... Uh, one player who got the puck in one part of the one part of the offensive zone, and they passed the puck, and the person who was charged with defending against them kind of like lost track of where they were. And this person very silently and quietly, all the all the you know the action moves to the other side of the rink, and it's all going. But this person just kind of quietly comes in and steps right in front of the right in, on the off on on the weak side of the net. He's he's just he's just kind of standing there, and it's clear like. The guy who was charged with defending him, like, wasn't paying close attention. And before you know it, zip, zip, the pass of the puck comes across the ice, and there he stands. He just pokes it right in the net because somebody wasn't paying attention to him. And this is what evil is counting on. And we cannot lose our man. Like, we, we, can't, loo- we can't lose track of this because, they're, like, they're going to poke the puck into the net. That's this is what they're going to do. They're waiting for the evil is look. Evil is not a passive recipient. They don't just like oh they just like oh there's an opportunity I'll like take no they are they are creating opportunities for things to happen and this is part of the thing right like even in that game there is a certain offensive intentional strategy where we're going to move the puck to one side of the rink 
to dist- to like this is where we're going to create all the activity for the very purpose of setting up the opportunity of right. one person to very silently come in and just stand and hang out by the net. And you don't even you don't even remember that he's there until boom. They score. Right. Yeah. Real quick, uh, you know, a couple of things. Um, we've we've said already that there is a proper place for shame. And so we want to say that at the outset. Uh, that you know our our conversation over the course of our time together is not going to be just about kind of hammering away at shame as if shame in and of itself is always and only bad. We know that there are uh, proper places and appropriate and, and, and ways to appropriate shame in our lives. It is equally true that a lot of the behavior that we commit as human beings, for which shame is the proper response, a lot of that behavior actually emerges out of shame in the first place. So you know, so you know, someone asked me once, well, if we were to eliminate shame, wouldn't we just like start behaving badly all over the place because nobody would be ashamed of doing it? And I would say, well, perhaps, but all that bad behavior that we're afraid that we would start to commit actually emerges so much, so much of the time it emerges as a way for me to cope with the shame that's, mm-hmm. that, I'm, that I'm holding inside anyway. And so that's just as, as a caveat. And, and then the other uh, question that sometimes has come up is this notion that there are different kinds of cultures that operate in different ways, that we have what we would call like a shame and honor culture. This is often understood to be the case in the Middle East and the Far East, Eastern cultures. And it's often considered that cultures in the West pay a lot more attention to this thing that we call guilt. And you know, how do those things, how, do, how does that differentiate? In other words, how does the culture itself shape our experience of shame and so forth? And, you know, the, in, in the book, as, as, I, as I write, you know, I, I'm not trying to address the cultural elements of this, but one thing I think that we can say is that every culture, whether you're in the U.S. or you're in Japan or you're in Saudi Arabia, every culture uh, has a way of experiencing shame and we respond to it. And we would also say that shame can become systematized. It, it can become utilized and manipulated. We're going to use shame as a culture to shape, you know, our, to shape our, the, our culture members in certain ways. And every culture does that to some degree. I think what's going to be more important is for us to recognize that uh, developmentally, and we'll talk about this in a little more detail later, developmentally, shame emerges earlier than guilt does. It requires a more sophisticated brain for a child to comprehend and have some kind of experience with a thing that we call guilt. Our responses to guilt and shame are different. When I feel guilty, I can move towards someone to seek restitution, to seek help, to to make sure that we're okay. Shame tends to turn me away from people. So what what we wanna say is that I can have shame without guilt but if I have guilt, you know that shame is under, underneath all that. And this is why we can misbehave and we can go to a person and we can genuinely apologize and repent and, and they can forgive us and we feel like we're in a better space. Uh, but the next day we wake up and we're thinking about what we did and we still feel bad. And we might say, well, I still feel guilty. And I say, oh, well, no, that's actually shame that's still at work. Because in the course of how we are responding to these kinds of things, evil is going to use the most primal, the most fundamental neurophysiologic action that we have access to 
to really, again, to run us over and to, to devour us. Evil isn't just interested in making us feel bad about ourselves. It's right. really looking for ways uh, to disrupt and devour and keep us from creating beauty and goodness in the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, Kurt, I'm really um, very excited about this season that we have in front of us. Revisiting this book for me already has opened my eyes to a few things and mm-hmm. reminded me of a few things. And, um, you know, you wrote the book in, tw- you released the book in 2015, but unfortunately its contents are evergreen because <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be dealing with this and it's something that, that you either mm. you either deal with or it deals with you. So yeah. I think that, um, you know, we, we typically have an application that we give people um, or you give people after every mm-hmm. episode, but I think it's appropriate for me to give the application this week. And what yeah. I, what I want to do is I want to say, here's your, here's your assignment. Mm. Um, I want you to, I want you to get the book. If you don't already have it, the soul of shame, Dr. Kurt Thompson, and I want you to read the first chapter this week so that you are ready to dig in with us next week. And, and we, what's going to be really, really awesome about this, this season is these podcast episodes are going to coincide with the chapters in the book and work as a companion to the book that, you know, if, if you've read the book before, you didn't have access to Kurt like you do now to, mm-hmm. to hear him talk about his writing. And, um, and then we'll do applications and we'll give you practical things that you can do to, um, to start doing this work. And, you know, I just really want to encourage you, if you don't already have the book, it's, it's readily available out there. This little guy on the book cover, by the way, it's ingenious. I mean, it's, Dude. it just embodies the feeling of shame. Um, the, the, the artist's, at IVP, the people who designed yep. this, they won an award for this cover. As well they should. I think it's fantastic. I, I mean, couldn't. I mean, I, I just, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. 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 So and, it, and, and, you know, in some respects, just to, just to you know, to, to jump on that, it, it's simple in yeah. its design. It's very simple in its design. And that's exactly what shame is. Like, shame doesn't have to come at you with lots of complicated stuff. Mm. It comes at you very simply but it just never stops coming at you. Right. Right. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready to take on this. Uh, I think right I'm on, ready. Bro. I think I'm ready. I got a feeling, it's gonna be, <laughs> I got a feeling some things are going to come up, but okay. All right. So if you are watching us on YouTube, we're going to be joined by our producer, Amy, and we're going to do our post-show conversation. Uh, if you're listening to us, head over to YouTube, subscribe. If you are a listener of this podcast, please uh, subscribe and rate and review us. It helps us to be more known out there, which is um, yeah. always a good thing. I, I think that the more people that get to hear from Dr. Kurt Thompson, the better the world's going to be. So thank mm-hmm. you, Kurt. Thanks for this day. I love you, buddy. Thanks, Pep, man. Love you too. Great to be with you again. You too. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app 
and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.